You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, a weekly exploration of digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. I've seen a lot of earned media about Meta's new virtual reality headset, Cambria, which will be released this October. It's the next step in Mark Zuckerberg's vision for our future, a corporate-owned and operated metaverse. But this commercial path has already been explored, and it didn't end well. 30 years ago, a similar commercial push toward immersive technologies began. Virtual Reality's original developers and investors attempted to mainstream haptic gloves and headsets, but what ultimately prevented its widespread adoption? This week, Jamie and I dive into the history of immersive technologies, augmented reality, virtual reality, and extended reality. We'll look at the history of virtual reality, its development, and why headsets and haptics never became as commercially successful as the World Wide Web. Then, we'll look at the recent road to Meta's vision for an immersive future. Why did Zuckerberg purchase Oculus from its founder, Palmer Luckey, to begin with? What ethical concerns should people have, from the types of biometric data being collected to what Meta really hopes to achieve with this technology? Before we begin, please take a moment to leave a five-star review for the Digital Void podcast on your favorite podcast player. It helps us continue to bring critical histories and interviews to you each week. Here's this week's conversation. Jamie, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. I am off, I guess we're off the heels of a hugely successful Meme in the Moment Festival last Saturday, a caveat. We're recording mm-hmm. this on Tuesday, August 30th. Yeah, it was a great show. I think we sold out. I think we did, and we'll have final numbers soon. But Jamie, you did a really fun palate cleanser of a talk, which is your (laughs) kind of go-to type of talk at these shows as the host. And it made me think about CEOs and the way that their outsized influence and investment in the future helps to shape our future. And you end your presentation with Mark Zuckerberg, and in particular, the reality that Mark Zuckerberg could create any future he wants. And instead of creating a more equitable, a more social future, he instead creates a an MR, VR, mixed reality environment that looks no better than the Nintendo we did a decade and a half ago. Yeah, it really blows uh, Nick Bostrom's philosophical argument out of the water, huh? Bostrom argued, as we talked about before, that Graphics are at such an advanced rate that there's no way to know at some point whether or not we exist in a video game or in real life. But if Mark Zuckerberg is going to be investing billions in his VR project or immersive, let's use the term immersive for all this because it's just easier than saying VR, MR, AR, XR, and all the realities that might be there. Um, any immersive tech that he's he's developing, the resolution may be high and the octagons or the polygons may be high too, but the visual graphic rate is obviously cartoonish it is as it i would say is 
less than 1997 Toy Story graphics. Like, I know those took major engines and a lot of animators to work on that, but today we could just literally have algorithms designing this type of work in real time. And I I remember at one point South Park boasted that they could load a script into their uh, AI machine and basically create a show in 24 hours, which allows them to create pertinent satire almost immediately after the, the time that it happens, which is amazing, right? So... Immersivity requires an additional step, the third dimension or the the ability to see things with um, the right type of differential, so to speak. So let, let's use some definitions as to what he's trying to get at before that. Uh, when you put goggles on and you cannot see anything but the inside of the world, that's virtual reality. All right, so virtual reality is the term for goggle-based realities and it uses something called differential. And differential is that you have two teeny tiny monitors inches from your face. Uh, And because there's two teeny tiny monitors, each eye technically sees them independently, not together, where obviously in the world of uh, binocular vision, both your eyes see together and overlap its vision and correct inside your brain. But when you separate your eyes from seeing, the screens have to basically overlap and create the reality for you. Differential inside the mask is when you turn your head left or right or up and down, the teeny tiny little monitors actually adjust by seeing where they're going. That's why VR typically needs a a knowledge of where you are in space, physical space to work. It's sort of like the way that when you make a right turn or your left turn in your car, one turn, if you turn right, your right wheel, your passenger side wheel in the US, um, turns less than the the driver's side wheel because it has to compensate for the differential. Same thing happens with those two screens. They'll move separately so your eyes blend it together. If that didn't happen, you'd vomit. I mean, it's just simple as that. So he wants to create this goggle-based reality. Now, immersivity requires, obviously, the Z space, depth. So you've got to be able to be in there, too. And it also has to trick your mind to want to do it. As Brian Broderick always says, he has an Oculus and he uses it, but he can't imagine himself using it for more than a few hours per day. How would you keep an audience in there forever? I mean, the goal here is time spent, right? It's social media. Meta is a social media company or a social networking company. And if there can't be time spent, then it's useless. AR the world of augmented reality, we're all very used to. It's basically using any onboard camera to see through reality into it and see digital objects overlaying physical space. So Pokemon is like the easiest uh, understanding that Pokemon Go. It overlays graphics onto space and sometimes the newer advancements can interact with physical objects, but rarely. And that's AR. Uh, MR, mixed reality, is when the digital object actually does interact with physical space. If you're walking around a room and you're seeing a, a wall, the wall will bend with the object. So a physical object will bend with the reality of the space around you. And then there's XR. XR is extended reality, which is just basically all the realities mushed into one, including your reality, your heartbeat, your data, your biometrics, the world around you and everything that Mark Zuckerberg wants to suck up and turn into an advertisement. Uh, so that is that hopefully answers your question as to why he would want to do it, because it is a way of making money. But as far as a term of can be done, it seems that VR chat has already done it. And it's not clear why Meta wants to create a metaverse based on something that's already been done for the sole purpose of a new reality for a social networking site. So I'd love to scale this back two decades or three decades now. You are the expert in the two potential paths for virtual reality. And I think it would be really fascinating for you to dive into what those two distinct and separate paths are and how we ended up in a commercial VR setting and maybe some of what the original pioneers or 
uh, tricksters of the environment would have hoped for a virtual reality. So the, this is the funny part about VR in and of itself. We always give Jaron Lanier credit for being the, the founder of VR. It, the funny for, part of that is that is partially true. That's like one of those politifact things. There, it is partially true. The thing is, is that when Jaron Lanier put together the original VR, it had very little mask access. It was actually glove-based. The idea was putting on haptic devices to control objects on the screen. Remember, you have to think back just 40 years ago. The graphical user interface was just coming to space. All right. There was most of the time people would use machines through batch processing or command line coding. It was text based. The GUI, the GUI, the graphical user interface was the way that people were able to take out the code and actually click on icons. I mean, somebody had to code a graphical interface. So it wasn't just coding the machine, but it was actually coding the interface. So two different layers had to be made before a user could gain access. And then the Engelbart mouse device is, of course, super important because then it frees your hand so you have an object, an external device to control it. So wouldn't the dream of the next stage of reality be simply gesture control? That was the thought. That's virtual reality. The idea is you put on a glove, and I think the first one were very ugly haptic devices. They were like weird gloves with actuators on them. At the time, Lanier was thinking about all this and creating some sort of advancement on computer interface design. And that was really the idea, was that it was no longer a mouse. But rather than putting your hand on a something and clicking on something, why not be gesture control? Now it frees up both hands. Think about computing and how inefficient it is by using one hand on a mouse on a keyboard and moving around. So virtual reality's intent was to be virtually in reality. That's it. So we're, we mistake the idea of it. However, there's another company in the same area. Lanier was in Redwood City. And in Sausalito, north of San Francisco, was the company Autodesk. And Autodesk was the was what we know as the designer of the CAD system, the computer-aided design system. And they basically made three-dimensional digital objects, which is amazing to think about because that's how we still design buildings. We design everything. CAD is incredibly important for spatial understanding. They had a huge upper hand in the idea of making immersive spaces in the screen. So keep in mind, this is the biggest switch. The biggest switch is that virtuality was outside in our world. And Autodesk had thought, well, what virtuality could be inside, inside the screen. It could be immersive on the other side of the screen. John Walker wanted to develop this team, Siberia. And his team was made up of engineers, designers, and artists. And one of his main engineers was Eric Gullickson. And Eric Gullickson was an engineer who had spent his time in Silicon Valley in the last several years, mixing and mingling with some of the very interesting psychedelic characters out there. Gullickson had an, a vision for VR that was a little bit different than most. He wanted to combine uh, Morton Heilig's Sensorama machine, which is basically this huge machine in the 60s. You put your head in this box and it was an immersive experience. He wanted to mix that with Ivan Sutherland's Sword of Damocles. And Sword of Damocles was this huge binocular system. It was on a big boom and it would go over your head. And they called it the Sword of Damocles because they made a joke. It wasn't real, but they made a joke that it could lop your head right off if you made a mistake. And it was a VR set. It was basically the first version of this. So mixing these two technologies together and including Myron Kruger's video place. Video place is this like what we consider an immersive space. It was like a four-walled four or five-walled projection system where you could walk inside of the projection unit. So now that if you mix all this media, you could put on goggles. The problem was this invention didn't exist. To make this work, and Zuckerberg should remember this, um, and we'll get to wh why Zuckerberg had this intention in a second. To make this work, you had to use two computers synced up at the exact same time, one computer for each monitor. So it was big. It was a big unit. Guess what? 
this puddled away very simple, like right, right away, like within three years, it hit everything, it was, became the hype. The, between the years of 1987 and 1992, everybody's like, VR is the next big thing. And then they looked at the price tag. The cheapest one was $15,000, and that was Gullickson Set. And that was from a company called Sense8. And so why? What, the question becomes, why? Why didn't VR last? Why aren't we already in Nick Bostrom's virtual reality? On the other hand, are we or did it succeed? And we are in that. Uh, you know, that's a whole other story. Uh, so why didn't it work? And the answer is pretty simple. At the same time VR was being developed, so was the World Wide Web. And arguably, the World Wide Web is far more immersive a space than any of these technologies. And you don't have to put on a mask. So we leap ahead, go ahead to the 2010s and a controversial figure named Palmer Lucky basically resurrects the idea of goggle-based VR and creates the Oculus Rift. Now here comes your the answer, the long-winded answer to what you're asking. Why does Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, or now Meta, interested in purchasing a company like Oculus Rift? What was the intention? And I think we have to point to Paris Mark's point of view on this really well, because the question isn't always about the idea of the content, but rather the technology. Paris Marx makes an argument that oftentimes when we see things like let's go to Mars or let's let's create spaceships, we assume there's this interplanetary desire, this place to get off Earth and see new things, when really it's designing a technology that's useful for the other thing. And in the term of space flight, the other thing is carrying warheads. So they want weapons contracts. Now, I'm not saying Mark Zuckerberg wants to use VR for a weapons contract, but it is what Palmer Lucky did. Palmer Lucky sold Oculus Rift to Facebook and now works for Android Industries, a company that builds drones that watches the border and will probably create death machines eventually. It's similar to Peter Thiel founding PayPal and ending up then find, founding Palantir. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, notice all these sci-fi words and these fantasy words, too. They're all part of this very much this boys club desire to uh, make the fictional real, put that into the real space. And, and, and that's why the original, the original idea for virtual reality was called cyberspace, which is uh, William Gibson's term from Neuromancer. And the current term is metaverse, which comes from Neil Stevenson's 1993 book. And it's, it's amazing that it's just these terms keep reappearing from these fictional books. And if you read any of them, they don't end usually that well for the characters. Like these are usually dystopias or at least struggles. So I guess that's part of the supposed hero's journey that they're on. But it is really kind of interesting that we're being tricked into the fandom of these things rather than the reality of them. Because the reality is much more grim. And even if it's not to develop immersive technologies for weapons contracts, it's projecting something less than human out into the ether, right? It's is I, I saw a tweet recently, or perhaps it was in Garbage Day by Ryan Broderick, and he said that he's convinced that the only way that this investment makes sense is if Mark Zuckerberg is planning for future pandemics and future-proofing meta against it. Then that's, again, this is the back to my first part, Nick Bostrom's wrong thing. I wrote an essay in 2020 uh, called VR Missed Its Moment Again. And I wrote this essay because uh, well, it was based on three thoughts. Here's my three premises of why VR missed this moment. VR was already in progress. I own Oculus Rift DK2. I own the first version of it uh, or second version, the one that didn't make you vomit. And that was in what, 2016. So it, they had four years. Okay, Technology in, in Moore's Law alone should have made it more accessible. Just alone, just about the fact that technology should have advanced. 
When the pandemic struck, there were three things that were happening simultaneously that really required VR. One, media. Uh, this really terrible retro porn movie came out called Ready Player One. Um, and it was basically just nostalgia porn. You know, there was no real good plot to it. It made no real sense if you break it down without the nostalgia bullshit. But my question that I asked is why we as an audience weren't able to act, be in the movie. If that's a VR movie, when Wade puts on his helmet inside the movie, we should in the movie theater be able to see ver immersivity. We shouldn't have to see a two-dimensional screen. It wastes the content. It's a complete waste of nostalgia porn because so much rights and IP were given to these things that people wanted to see. I just wanted to look around. Two, Westworld, the TV show on HBO, was toying around with the idea of an Eden for the robot senses. So the hosts. The hosts were going to migrate off their human constructs and into a metaspace. And they called this the Eden, the, the sublime, or whatever, what have you. When they did that, they actually changed the visuals on the screen. The screen is typically 16.9. And then when it became the, the beyond or the, or the sublime, the bars appeared. So making it more of a Lord of the Rings-esque super wide screen. It's so we as an audience know we're not actually in the physical world. We're inside of the construct. Why didn't HBO ship us headsets? Why didn't every single subscriber get a small Google box just the way that New York Times did for one single stupid issue? And we all could see what Bernard sees. That scene should have been first person. If we are watching Bernard, we should be Bernard through that. Three, there was a pandemic. <laughs> we literally were all sh shot into a remote setting. Everybody became remote media producers overnight. We had to create new media from scratch. No one was prepared. A very small percentage of us have a, a unique ability to adapt to this type of space. The great majority of us do not know what to do when we're there. We persevered. We did fine. But at this moment, the Facebook papers had yet to come out. But if he really wanted to do a social good, he could have offered teachers all over the country free headsets and educational spaces and an option to work inside of immersivity, replace the classroom on your goggles head. And we got nothing. We got nothing. If anything, we got things that weren't worse because then we found out that Facebook was literally destroying the world and they didn't do anything to stop that. So it, it is amazing to me that all this effort and this design and, and, keep, and then keep in mind that, of course, what our conversation we're having right now is only as a result of the Facebook papers. Likely, Zuckerberg was going to launch the metaverse inevitably, but the push forward to meta happened within a week after the Facebook papers had been released. It was one of the biggest PR flip-flops I've ever seen. So our conversation is predicated on Facebook's bad behavior, not on their good behavior. Facebook's bad behavior is a recurring theme. And Mark Zuckerberg is opting to plow forward into the future. As we mentioned at the top of this conversation, he's investing $10 billion this year alone, as he mentioned on the recent Joe Rogan episode, into these types of immersive experiences. And this October is the release of a project, Project Cambria is the code name, uh, for the next version of Oculus that's set to release. And it's not necessarily emphasizing education or interesting innovations or solutions to help make people more curious or playful in this space, but rather it's going to cost $1,000 as a high-end virtual reality and augmented reality headset, and it will, as Zuckerberg claims, have the ability for people to kind of make eye contact in this virtual reality and allow people to, and I say allow in 
almost a sarcastic tone, have their face be tracked. So if you smile or frown, whatever it is, it will translate in real time to your virtual avatar's expression. So the thing that's been troubling me about Project Cambria and a $1,000 release point is trying to figure out exactly if Facebook were to pivot into meta, how can Zuckerberg justify this spending when, as you alluded to earlier, everybody's having trouble staying in this to begin with? Who's putting on this headset or going out to buy this headset to go hang out in virtual spaces for experiences that are less than second life. It just it just doesn't make sense to me. Is this just the downfall of an empire? Ugh. What is this mask going to look like? What is it going to cover your head? Is it a globe? Is it a full-on camera that sits in front of your face like a fear camera? Like Joe Rogan used to host the show Fear and we're going to eat worms and how it's going to match our facial expressions, fear factor style. Like what is this? <laughs> It's almost it's almost it's almost steampunk. I'm sending you a link to an image in our chat. You have an image of it? Okay. Let me see. <laughs> uh, this is bad. Um don't uh, All right, so it's just some some advice for those of you listening. Don't put this on your head. This looks to me like an an MR helmet. Uh an MR helmet like mixed reality like the Microsoft HoloLens. The Microsoft HoloLens is a lens that looks sort of like a VR helmet, but you could see through it. It has a dark opacity, so you could see your physical space. The HoloLens works by scanning the, your eyeballs. It actually sees your pupils, so it could see which way they're looking. And it also scans the environment in front of you so that the digital objects interact. So it is a scanner or a LiDAR machine, a uh, laser detecting space machine. So it could actually see you and, it, and the outcome. This mask in particular looks a little bit lighter. It looks fairly more wearable. It definitely seems like it's going to be more translucent. So it is a bit more, or at least it uses the cameras better on the front. So it is a little bit more mobile. I think one of my big critiques of VR is it's immobile. You can't really leave the room. You're not going to cross the street wearing VR. Um, this one seems like it might be adding the lenses in the front so you could actually walk around with them. Uh, from what I could tell from this thing, it is more gesture controlled. So it's the handsets are a little lighter than they used to be. But all in all, it still looks like a VR set of goggles. It is strapped on the back and the front of your head. It requires it to be squeezing your head. And it still will not give you a replacement of reality at a resolution that's necessary for you to feel like you want to stick around all day. The second question I have for it then is VR actually makes people sweat. It increases your heart rate pretty well because when you're immersed, your brain actually goes into some hyperdrive and starts wanting to be immersed. Your brain immediately adapts. It takes about a second for you to jump into VR, which is fantastic if you think about how good the tech is. But your body's adrenaline goes up. If you're going to be keeping these goggles on, keeping going, is there going to be ways of whisking the water? Is there going to be a, an air module? Is there a way to vent this thing? Like This doesn't seem like it's thought through any further than the typical headset. I, I can't tell just from this image how this is an advancement on the current technologies. I think... Rather than thinking of it as an advancement from the current technologies, I think it's important to dive into what Zuckerberg was explaining to Rogan in their conversation. So Zuckerberg laid out plans for what he views as perhaps the next few decades of immersive technology development. His goal, and he said Meta is developing, a an input-only device to try to remove all friction. So the device won't be able to pick up anything from your brain, but the idea is that you can signal to the device from your brain an input, and that will control the environment. So this is the next step toward something that more closely resembles 
a regular pair of glasses. So the idea is to become more and more lightweight over time until you're wearing a pair of glasses that allows you to be immersed in your reality and send text messages without interfering. And perhaps the other person you're speaking to doesn't even know you're sending a text message. Okay. This is this means something else. It complicates things when he says that this is stage-based because Google Glass had the opportunity to present translucent objects on the space uh, 10 years ago now. And Moore's Law has already given us the ability to actually create AR headsets that are that look like glasses. In other words, shitty overlays. Not They're not great and they're not MR, but it does give us the news and it gives us small overlays of data that you could see in the upper part of the, uh, the glasses. If that's the intention, just go to it. Just just jump. Just There's no reason to launch middle technologies in between because the only question then is what data is being collected. My guess here is that this technology, whether it's input only or eye, eye tracking or whatever, means that he's collecting data. And like I said in my essay years ago too about VR is that Facebook had a data issue. Facebook is only a two-dimensional data collector. It collects up and down when you scroll a feed. It collects time. If you stop on your feed and you sit and read something, it knows how long you've spent inside that specific space. Um, It also collects the data of your clicks, your movements, tracks your browser history, but it's still two-dimensional, so to speak. It could create a three-dimensional perspective of who you are, but it really doesn't know anything but your movement occasionally when you check into like Walgreens and use your shopper card. With this, it now knows your height, knows your hand motions, it knows what type of uh, heart rate you might be using, it might know what your reaction speeds are. All these additional data points are probably what he's actually using this technology for. It has less to do with the content and more to do with to get to the next iteration, he needs more data. And so he's you, he's creating a, a vacuum that is vacuuming your data to create the next iteration that could very well just be introduced. If he were truly bold, he wouldn't go on Rogan to explain it. He would simply release the new set of gla- glasses that everyone must have. And not just his Ray-Ban spectacles rip off, but actually a AR headset that shows you the news, shows your Facebook updates, shows you something simple, created demand for something that people actually might want. Instead of looking down at their watch while they're driving, they could just simply look up and see above them and see their their updates or their text messages. They could speak out loud and respond to it. That technology is possible right now. What Mark Zuckerberg wants in through all this is to create a new world for us to go to because he's going to develop it based on our data. He doesn't know the answer, but it's probably likely that we do. So he's using us as the biggest survey machine possible. And with enough data points and enough perspectives, we could choose to create that reality for Mark Zuckerberg. We are going to be his free labor inside of his shitty technology. And if we don't, then we sync Meta and he goes away, right? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think Meta, I think a lot of this is predicated on the fact that Meta is going away. I think Facebook is in its halcyon days. It's, It's over. It's... Just a way for people who have international relatives to keep in contact and share birthdays. Uh, For the most part, the language of Facebook, the posting language, has eradicated all useful communication. So it is now just a simply place of of posting or humble bragging or at least just posting updates. There's no real communication device. The, The lack of young people feeling like it's a cool place to be is what's going to kill Meta, not the VR part. The VR part will probably attract some gamers or at least new gamers and new styles, but it will not attract a general public. And it definitely will not attract the boomers that love to type and post shitty memes. It won't, they will not be putting on the headset. And I have one last question for you. This is going back 
to, I believe, the fall of 2015 semester. I remember you lamenting in a lecture that you gave in an undergraduate course of mine about how Facebook's shift to prioritize publishers helped launch its total users to 2 billion and how that pivot was super important. At the time, it wasn't super clear that it would be a successful pivot. And Facebook in the past has faced a few moments where it appeared in serious jeopardy. So is this moment different or can Facebook fight back from the clutches of death or is this truly different? This this time is different. This time is different only because they've pivoted over and over, but they still have the out the algorithm, the big capital A one. They have the feed. No company has as much data and users as Meta. I mean, they they really have succeeded in controlling how countries communicate, how news is distributed, how video is monetized. I mean, they figured it out. YouTube is your other faction of reality. What I think dams Facebook this time, in difference to the last pivot beyond pivot beyond pivot, is that we now know about Facebook's mishandling. And we also know that Zuckerberg can't get a grasp. He's, He's struggling. He's struggling to grip the wall. So he's sliding down a wall and he's grabbing over and over and that the handholds aren't pulling him up. His appearance on Rogan is pretty important. I mean, he's, as I mentioned uh, on my talk, is that a lot of these CEOs, for some reason, have fandoms. Uh, I mean, it's not for some reason. There's a, an easily explainable reason. Uh, but even people like Bezos has a fandom. They want to go to space. They want to use uh, Blue Origin. And and Elon, of course, is basically a cultural zeitgeist machine. He, uh, arguably, there is no Elon Musk. There's only the presentation of Elon Musk. But poor Zuckerberg out there. I mean, this guy, not that I feel bad for him. I don't. I think being part of three genocides is already pretty bad. But he doesn't have a fandom. He doesn't have a space of people supporting him from the perspective of personality. And so he's laundering his personality on Joe Rogan, which is what a lot of people do. They appear on Joe Rogan to launder their misgivings or launder their personalities so that a new fandom might appreciate what they're talking about. But it's also high hopes. They go on Rogan to push things that Rogan might react to in a positive manner so people feel like there's a hype. And it goes into the Gartner hype cycle. And the hype cycle is basically all hype appears before the product appears. And so when the product appears, the hype cycle kind of ends. And so what, if, if Zuckerberg is looking for adoptions, whether it be a $500 headset or a $1,000 headset, unless it's a free headset, he's not going to get the adoptions. It's just simply as put as that. It doesn't matter. The access, and I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about people who don't see even binocular vision or people who have motion tracking issues. They aren't compensated for. If, if I were a VR designer, I would start with accessibility and move my way up to cost. I wouldn't start the other way around. Because if you, buy, if you get buy-in from the least mobile, and you get buy-in from the youngest, and you get buy-in from teachers, and you get buy-in from the elderly, you get buy-in from everybody. But if you don't think about the people that make the difference in people's lives, <laughs> then you're not the one that's going to make the difference in people's lives. So your technology may not be the thing to do the, the next iteration of our reality. Now, one thing I do want to say, because I, I know this is an inevitability, regardless of the success of Meta and the Metaverse, no matter what, within your next decade, you will be putting on glasses that will be giving you heads up displays. You will be doing it one way or another. Some company will come out with it within the next decade. And when you are walking around and you see blank walls that have nothing on them, trust me, you will see ads in those spaces. Because again, this technology is about putting ads in more spaces. That's what these companies have come to. Our largest advertisers, advertising platforms in the world are Facebook and Google. 
you don't think they want to occupy every spot of unoccupied territory, then you're mistaken. So do not be shocked when you do put on those glasses, which I likely will too, because I already wear an Apple watch. Those glasses will be part of your everyday life and you will be living in a mixed reality world. But as far as VR is concerned and being immersed and putting goggles on that make your face sweat, I don't see it. <laughs> and neither do I. <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Void podcast. For show notes and resources about this episode, check the show summary. You can find out more about Digital Void, including our upcoming events, projects, and white papers at digitalvoid.media. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And so we might say this is an experience of the void.